Welcome to the DFD, a podcast dedicated to all things dairy farming. Each episode, we chat with industry leaders who share insights and their experiences into the dairy business. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the DFD podcast. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer. I'm uh, pretty pumped to have uh, the legend himself, Bill Woodley, on this morning. Uh, Bill, I think it's the uh, most wonderful time of the year right now. We're getting ready for uh, some spring forages, or sorry, some winter forages. Uh, hay's just around the corner. I mean, we get to put all this great forage into the into the bunks and kind of set ourselves up to have some success this year with uh, uh, with for or forage production. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but have you heard like feed price is pretty high right now? Yeah, I don't. I have heard that. It's uh, it's extremely high. Yeah. No, this is a great a great time of year, but it's kind of the critical time of year for any haylage or any cereal crop. Um, and it's really the fours that will set you up for the year. The second and third cut are important. Um, fourth cut, less so. Uh, there's some mm-hmm. reasons to think about that. But the second and third are pretty consistent. But the first cut is the tonnage and theoretically the quality if taken off at the correct time. If you don't take it off at the right time, your quality is kind of set for the season. Yeah, and I like, I wish I could feed first cut all year. but Totally. Totally. Can't, totally. can't do it. So. so it can be the best best crop ever. But you're right. Like this is the time of year where we start building inventories. And I know like when you're buying feed, whether it be off the field or in a bale, you know, it's just expensive. If you've got the land already, um, it's just a real extra expense, uh, I guess, if you're you're running out of inventory. So I think this is the kind of year where we start to build up stocks and make sure that we have lots of feed kind of going into the winter. So we don't have to, you know, search for that load of hay or, or, you know, buy corn silage off your neighbor in August type thing. So I think uh, I, I love this time of year. It's probably my favorite time of the year. And and we get to kind of, we get a clean slate kind of with our feet. So we can start exactly. uh, start managing for the next year. So Yeah. And I guess uh, part of our objective is uh, not to get the feed analysis back and say, wow, that quality wasn't good or it was amazing. It's really to get ahead of that and say, here's the things you can do to improve quality. It's kind of the key concept. Yeah, and I know, like, I've been out walking a bunch of fields this week, and actually, I was really surprised with some uh, alfalfa and grass blends. I just seen some grass already starting to push head, and we were, I was pretty north yesterday. I guess north in Ontario isn't north anywhere else, but I was, like, up in, uh, I was up in the south end of Bruce County, and, uh, like, there's some brome grasses and, and things like that are starting to you know, you're seeing some heads in some fields and I was like, okay, well, it's time to go and, and, and yeah. walking some uh, triticale and rye fields around uh, like Lampton, Middlesex County and uh, just kind of south of Grand Bend. And uh, yeah, flag leaf showing like they're waiting for the weather to clear. I know we've had a couple of cruddy days uh, yeah. here, but once the weather clears, I think we're going to see start seeing a lot of feet hit the ground. So sorry, we had a cool spring and then that really slowed the pro- progress down of both grasses and alfalfa, but the, the alfalfa plant responds so well to photosynthesis, which just means sunlight. The more mm-hmm. sunlight it gets, the faster it grows. But what it's trying to do is reach reproductive maturity, which means flowering stage. And we don't want to get to that stage with alfalfa. You want to be at that, uh, that early bud to mid bud stage. Like, is there, is there advantage, I guess, with alfalfa too? 
like when we have a cooler spring like that, like I know the last week there, we got some nice heat and it, it like it exploded, yeah. like mm-hmm. there it put on a lot of volume. But like, should we just kind of throw maturity out the window and just cut for the calendar? Like with first cut, sometimes like if we've had such a cool spring, you, you could. But it's the same uh, principle. Maturity is the reality is what you're cutting at, and um, it de- the speed at which it reaches maturity depends on the weather conditions. And the two main factors are are heat and photosynthesis, those are the key things. And moisture as well. Moisture actually um, inhibits digestibility, to be honest. So if you get too wet and if it's too cool, you're gonna lose digestibility. But if you get dry and you get sun, which we had last week, you're gonna improve digestibility, but it's gonna gonna basically uh, accelerate that time to get to uh, reproductive maturity. So so basically it's it's still gonna be maturity and we're still gonna look for that and then then we're gonna cut it. The only difficulty is the grasses can take off fairly quickly because they're a cool season uh, species. So they don't mind cool and they don't mind some moisture. Uh, they like moisture, actually. But alfalfa is more of a warm season crop. It likes the warmth. It likes the sun. So. Yeah. It, uh, it's funny, too. I walked uh, a stand that was seeded two years ago. So last year was the first full year with it. Yeah. And then we walked another one. Um, it was in its third year. Same relative gla- mm-hmm. grass blend. Yeah. But there was so much more grass in that older stand. And it oh, was yeah. like the alfalfa was so far behind what yeah. uh, what the other field was. Like there was way, way less grass and the alfalfa was robust. And and it just looked, it looked really good. And then we went into the next field and we're like, oh, okay. Like the grass yeah. is really, <laughs> really I, choking really the did. stuff out. Yeah. And so that, that changes your cutting time for that field, right? So if you have two fields yeah. and one is full of grass, you're going to cut earlier, but probably about a week or two earlier, basically. So, but um, the, the, the alfalfa is, is probably one of the most amazing plants, I think. And it's, it's unbelievable nutrition for a dairy cow, but it's also sensitive to winter kill. And uh, if you get a field that is subjected to that those grasses will take off and all of a sudden you notice that you have more grasses and less alfalfa and nothing wrong with grasses except they mature at a faster rate you just they're ready to harvest out. early yeah yeah so yeah. it really comes down to maturity again they're they're ready to go so then harvest them forget about the alfalfa in that situation but the second field just think about the alfalfa so it really yeah. depends on what you're looking at in the field well and then like I know that field, like some of the grass in there was starting to push ahead a little bit too. And then like, yeah, it's like, this is early, but then I got looking at the calendar. I'm like, it's not really early. It's no, kind of, oh, no. we're actually on time. We're so, exactly on time. You know, it was a slow start, but I think last yeah. week uh, we caught up and we haven't had frost for a while either, which kind of helps too. So oh, no, it'll be fine. Not in this it's area anyways. So, but with alfalfa, you don't want to cut it too early, like before, uh, before bud uh, otherwise you don't get enough energy in the roots and that can actually inhibit growth the, for the second cut but if you had a field that has lots of grass and hardly any alfalfa i would still cut for the grass and not worry about the alfalfa because you're likely going to change that field at some point anyways so yeah. reseed or do something with it so i wouldn't worry about that yeah and we always talk about how forage quality kind of impacts feed costs i know it's a lot said but can you maybe dive into that and and kind of explain what we're what we're kind of talking about like with the plant physiology side i guess yeah so i really like to um simplify things on the on the forest quality side because we talk about forest quality 
a lot, but we don't talk about what what really is forage quality. Exactly. So, so in my estimation, bottom line with haylage crops, especially forage quality is uh, is NDF digestibility. So digestibility of the fiber is the key thing. Now that's on our system is G fraction, but that means how digestible is the fiber. So the reason that's important is the more digestible the fiber, there's a link to higher milk production through higher dry matter intake. And that's, that's the key to, so forage quality, number one is fiber digestibility because you're growing fiber basically. So if you can improve it, you should increase milk production and increase uh, dry matter intake, and then theoretically less reliance on starch. That's the key thing. So the G, the G fraction is kind of like lignin, essentially. Yeah, basically. Yeah, you look at yeah. lignin, uh, lignins on alfalfa could be anywhere from, you know, six to eight, for example. Yeah. And our G fractions are in the, can be anywhere from the low 30s to the mid 40s. And all that means is. Even high 40s I've seen or yeah, over 50. Which means 50% of the plant is indigestible to that cow. And that's, that's really a problem. Not, it's not a problem. It just means you have to feed more corn, more energy, more something to get the nutrients of that animal. So, I think that's, yeah, well, I was just going to say, it, it, my premise is you have to have uh, high fiber digestibility for high milk production. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to feed a lot more purchase feed or um, purchase more feed ingredients that are going to help that. So, so at the end of the day, we're, we're just replacing energy from forage digestibility with protein. Okay grain totally. totally fat palm fat totally. fat palm fat for sure you can reduce palm fat usage by improving fiber digestibility so this is why i'm so excited about triticale winter wheat and winter rye because if you cut them at the flag leaf stage rather than even the boot stage a little later but at the flag leaf stage um so for example i said g fraction now alfalfa can be 45 i've seen g fractions on these triticales at 20 or less yeah. which means 80 percent of that plant is digestible so you can improve yeah. intake, less reliance on fat, less reliance on starch for an energy source. So it's a huge thing. And high um, sugars. Like last year, we had some stuff that was like, I forget what the sugar numbers on it, but like you grab it. Like the, mm -hmm. the guy in the pack tractor was complaining because he couldn't push it because the tractor would okay. just spin out. And yeah. the wheels were just caked with it. And like you just grab it and it felt like you just had a handful of syrup. Yeah. Like it yeah, was just exactly. sticky. Yeah. And then sugar is an important nutrient. The only problem with sugar is that sugar in the field is lost in fermentation in the silo. And that's the, the tricky yeah. part. So you could, you could have, let's say, 6% sugar in the plant and end up with 2% in the, in the finished feed because it's going to be used in that fermentation process. So um, where things like fiber digestibility and starch, they're going to be used in the cow, not in the silo. That's the key difference. So Yeah, and I know like doing diets i've never it's not usually fiber that's the limiting factor on a dairy diet it's typically energy it is energy 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 so the other thing is the other so there's three main things to look at in forage quality the one is starch content and starch degradability well that really applies for i think you know ontario corn silage to me it doesn't apply for barley silage wheat silage the starch content is either low like five percent or, and the, and the kernel is not processed, so it doesn't really matter. So when you're talking, talking starch in Ontario, you're talking corn silage. Mm -hmm. In Alberta, you could be talking starch contents of 20 to 25% on some of their barley silages. Yeah. That's a different story, you know, basically. So, so I think if you see starch in barley, barley, oatlage, 
you, you, that is heifer feed. It's not milking cow. Yeah, and let's maybe talk about that a little bit too, because I know I had that conversation with producers yesterday on yeah. a rye field that's just starting to push ahead, and I just mm-hmm. asked the question, like, what do you want to feed it to? Like, what's the end goal? Exactly. Well, we want to feed it to heifers and, and far-off yeah. dry cows. I'm like, okay, let her go to head. Well, yeah. and they were concerned about starch, and I'm like, you don't get starch till towards yeah. the end. Like, you're going to be, you know, like when they do the barley silage or, yeah. or wheat silage, it's – you know, a couple of weeks, 10 days from combining when they oh, do yeah. it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, so it doesn't really matter. It, it, it's like rye. I haven't tried triticale like that where we let it go to head, but rye is pretty common here in, in like Southwestern Ontario. Yeah. And once you let it go to head, it's a pain in the ass to process chop pack, but yeah. it makes really nice heifer feed. Oh, it makes perfect heifer feed. Now, the only yeah. problem is it, rye especially is very high in potassium often, like not always, but yeah. usually above three percent right so it doesn't make a great close-up dry cow i think you'd say that for all cereal crops because they're all high yeah they're all high they suck potassium out like crazy yeah so but bottom line the starch in cereal crops in ontario to me is irrelevant it doesn't really matter whether it has become sugar and it's becoming starch there's not a huge amount in there um but i used to I, i worked i sorry i worked in alberta for a number of years but Starch levels there are 20 to 25%. They cut high. And one producer actually kernel processes the uh, the barley silage mm-hmm. and has replaced corn silage out there. But that's because they, they have a hard time growing corn silage. And here we don't. So, yeah. Well, so, I, I know we're off on a little tangent here, but I think yeah. <laughs> like it just even like there's a lot more corn being grown in Western Canada. Oh, like yeah. I think if they could grow corn, they would grow corn. Oh, yeah. Well, you'll go to Red Deer. Corn either gets hit by hail and destroyed, or frost, right? <laughs> or frost. Like it's just like it's hardly worth it. But here we can grow corn. So, so number two on forage quality is how much starch do you have, and then how uh, degradable is that starch? That's number two. So we're not talking haylage though, because there's no starch in haylage, zero. Okay, so that's number two. Number three is you can influence protein content. And protein quality, uh, protein content on you know rye or or triticale can be influenced by the amount of nitrogen you add. So you can go from sixteen to eighteen if you add enough nitrogen. So that's that's the that's the quantity and sulfur. Oh, and sulfur exactly because sulfur is the, kind sulfur. Of the backbone the backbone of building protein, right? Yeah. So yeah, so those two things are critical. But with alfalfa. Um, you can get high quality by by maturity, so cutting earlier. You can cut higher, which means going from two inches to four inches or two inches to three inches, because you're gonna have more leaf content and the leaf is high. I tell you, I get some sideways looks when I say that one to producers. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Like, How come? Just high chopping alfalfa. <laughs> well, yes, that's not high. It's like one inch. Yeah, it's just making sure you go a little bit higher. And <laughs> well, if you a- go, if you go look at it, like that bottom really yeah. yellows off, and oh, it's totally. got a lot of nutrient value, and that's where all your lignin is. It's just like a, it's just like a, uh, like the CN Tower. All the rebars yeah. in the bottom. To keep that plant up, it's the same with corn. It's the same with alfalfa. It's the same with cereal crops. Like yeah. the lignin's in the bottom. So, so but it was an interesting higher. study by Minor Institute did a study, and they cut it two inches or four inches. What they had was they had improved quality at four inches, reduced quality at two inches, but they actually got more milk per acre at two inches. 
But the problem is you're getting darn close to clipping that uh, plant right off and the, the, the reserve, the energy reserves are in the root. So you don't want to damage that. And number two is you're, you're likely accumulating ash content and ash content yeah. is not going to help the cow. So this is why the recommendation is minimum three inches and you can play with that a little bit. Three inches is good. And you got to cut grass a little bit higher too, don't you? Yeah. We say four inches because they store their energy yeah. in the crown. And again, if you cut too low, then you're going to damage that plant. So, yeah. Let's yeah, talk about, so, yeah, go ahead. And let's talk about Asha for a second here. Yeah. Um, as it pertains to feed quality, I know I've talked about it yeah. in a new number of previous podcasts, but I think it's one of those things that we really, really have to concentrate on is making sure that we don't take any of that dust and rocks and crap in with it because it murders your energy number. Oh, it like, absolutely kills it. So yeah. like, like alfalfas, I've seen some alfalfas this year, some haze as low as eight, you know, yeah. high seven, nines, eight yeah. under. And I'm thinking like, you know what, get me under 10. We're probably pretty solid. Well, it's interesting. In the last two years, I've seen lower ash numbers than I have the previous, you know, four or five years before that. So yeah. I think the message is getting out there because ash is the macro minerals. So it's calcium, phosphorus, potassium, all those things. And the micro minerals, which don't add up to much. But then the rest is dirt. It has to be. So yeah. you just do the math. You got 2% calcium, you know, 3% potassium. You're not up at 10%. So it's actually silica or, or dirt. And that just takes away from energy, but can also bring in soil-borne microorganisms and bacteria that could cause a problem. So, for example, clostridium can be a part of that soil. And if you have a wet halage with clostridium, then that can shift it to a butyric acid uh, fermentation. And that's where you get that smelly uh, silage that doesn't feed very, very well, I don't think, and can play some havoc with the dry. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because say if you were at a 12% ash versus a 10% ash, so yeah. say on 100 tons, just for easy math, yeah. 12, if you're at 12%, 12 tons of that is dirt. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, eh? Is is your yeah, like you said, your macros and whatever kind of matter Six. gets in there, yeah. right? So if you go to ten percent, yeah. guess what? There's two more tons of feed yeah. in that hundred tons. Yeah. So, so that's a combination of um, the the dirt being clipped off in the, in the process of bringing it in from the field, but also if you if you have a muddy yard, I find this a lot where you're pushing silage up and you're pushing dirt up with that silage. I find that and, does increase ash content a fair bit. And also mower and rake settings. Cutting too yes, low. That's true. Yeah. Rakes. Like if you see the cloud of dust following the rake around the field, it's probably set too aggressively. Yeah, exactly. So the other area on quality is, is protein quality. We, we talked mm. about quantity, but the quality of the protein makes a difference. So a couple of things to think about. The wetter the feed, the more soluble the protein, which means mm -hmm. uh, you're overwhelming the rumen a little bit. The drier the feed, the higher the escape protein or the bypass protein. But if you get it too dry, you, on the alfalfa, you lose the leaves because they shatter and they're lost. So our recommendation is between 35 and 45% dry matter for alfalfa silage is kind of the ideal amount. Because that way you don't lose on leaf loss. You can wilt it a little bit mm -hmm. and then you get a higher protein quality. I mean, there's other things you can think about, but really we always talk about forage quality, but we never, never really tell the producer what we're looking at, what the numbers are. Yeah. 
And, and, and honestly, and I, it's lignin and, and energy, really. Totally. Lower lignin, higher energy. Yeah, and the the RFQ, the for, uh, relative, sorry, RFV, the relative feed value, is really doesn't really tell you anything. To be honest, it's really an alfalfa equation based on ADF and NDF, and to me, it doesn't tell you the story at all. So no. it, you have to go beyond that and look at the digestibility of that. I know you mentioned milk per ton. How's that calculated? Is that just a calculation as well? Like, is yeah, that the Wisconsin just an energy protein fiber? Yeah, they they use a lot of those nutrients, and then they just calculate milk per ton or milk per acre. So you can okay. look at it both ways, right? I, I, you know, selfishly, I'm a big fan of milk per ton because I yeah. think the cow performs better. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm more focused on performance per cow, performance per herd rather than per acre. Because I think you, you and this is where the high quality forages come in. You, this really drives milk production yeah. at a lower cost. It's kind of a- well, and I know I've done, um, and I'm going to be doing a little bit more uh, trials on silages and haylages and yeah. it's one of those things one of those parameters i just kind of throw in at the end i know we've done some fungicide on uh alfalfa over the last yeah. couple of years and that's one of the things that we looked at and mm-hmm. it's really one of the only things that we have i guess to kind of compare because unless we're actually feeding it to a cow mm-hmm. and we're not going to know the difference so at least we have kind of like a theoretical number yeah, that can kind of point us in the right direction, and then you know, looking at tonnage and things like that. So, so yeah, I, I don't like looking at milk per acre either. I'd, I'd much rather like milk per ton and calculate so. how many tons per acre you got to figure out how many milk. Yeah, how much milk per acre, right? Yeah, because I think really think the driving focus is the milk production, and then the cost of the milk production. So if you can decrease that and, and improve milk production, that's a win-win. So. Uh, I'm not sure if you see any oats and peas out there at all. Or There's a few, but a lot of our new seedings didn't get put in until the last couple of weeks. So a lot of times we have those in early April. So we're seeing some yeah. oats and peas growing, but not okay. so much this year. The key thing with them is that the the oats should be flag leaf again. That's the key thing to look at because yeah. the, the peas will flower, and but you're not really, to me, looking for a pod. or I don't know. You're, you're looking at the, the oats. It's kind of the key thing. So it's the same principles, any, any of the grasses, oats, barley, wheat, triticale, you want to be at that flag leaf and just before the boot stage to cut to harvest. And that will improve forage fiber digestibility. You know, the peas tend to help on protein a little bit, but. Um, I say don't put the peas in. Same here. I, <laughs> like, you can tell. Well, like. They don't make a huge difference. No, they're actually yield drag. Like if you and look they, at the studies on it, like I think it was Michigan, Michigan State, like yeah. there was uh, like I think straight oats was the highest at like it was like two or two point two tons of dry matter per acre. Yeah, uh, oats and barley were the next, and then peas were oats and peas. Yeah, I think oats, peas, and barley were the last ones, and I've been thinking about that a lot, and I think a lot of it is just seed sizing. Like yeah. if you look at a pea seed versus oat seed, like you can yeah. get eight to 10 oat seeds to one pea seed. Yeah, exactly. So you're yeah. just not putting as much per acre on. And in the fall, no. I'm not, I'm not so sure in the winter, in the spring, um, when new seeding, but no, in the fall, know. they are so rank and they just never dry down. Yeah. So I, I actually prefer the straight cereals myself or straight grass. Like Italian rye yeah. grass is a grass. Uh, wheat is a grass as well, but you know, they're, they're really different, different species, but all those grasses taken off at the flag leaf stage just before the boot stages 
unbelievable quality. It doesn't really, the quality doesn't vary very much. The thing with rye and triticale and wheat is that rye matures a little earlier, so you got to be right on top of it. And that harvest window is very tight. Triticale uh, matures next, that little wider harvest window. And then wheat, you just don't get the tonnage. But the quality is unbelievable. If you took wheat off, like uh, winter wheat, early at the flagship mm-hmm. stage, it's going to be high quality. It doesn't really matter. So you just may lose on tonnage. So. Yeah, I always talk about the joke with rye. Like if you see a head in the morning, yeah. you've got a day. It's going to be all out in head. <laughs> exactly. Like and then it makes late. decent heifer feed. So that you got to think. And it does. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's not. I, uh, so over the last. I guess two or three years I've been working with some producers on some, you know, some triticale, some rye, some oats and things like that. And they are feeding tremendously well. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm really impressed with it. It fits into the rations. Nice. Luckily these are a little bit uh, bigger farms so they can afford to have another bunk open because it's, it's not for everybody. And I mean, we get a lot of people that are doing a lot of cash crop. Yeah. Um, Probably not for them either because you know, when you're wanting to plant beans and corn, you got to yeah, park that stuff and go cut because exactly yeah. exactly but yeah, i think but, the future i think the future is where i'm thinking the, the dairy nutrition will go well alfalfa is going to be a key part of that for sure corn salads will be a key part but then some sort of a grass species will be part of that uh, mix so as the herds get bigger and you can handle more different types of feed grass has become important yeah they just and, react differently in the room they just different feed and I was, I was actually, yeah, like I said, walking some fields at Triticale this week. Yeah. And it looks amazing. Like it's like, oh, for, for the listeners who don't know, I'm about six foot one. And it was half to three quarters of the way up my thigh. Yeah. And thick as thick could be. Like I'm like, there's oh, yeah. just a tremendous amount of field. Now, that was an exceptional uh, field, like really good fertility. I yeah. went across the road and looked at uh, some same producer and uh it wasn't as good you could tell at the back of the field it was better we were kind of standing up in an old barnyard and yeah uh, but like still i just can't i can't believe the tonnage there like i wish we oh, could get it reason. over i wish we could get it over scale or get some weights on it because i would be really interested to see what the what the well, yield yeah. is because my my gut feel would be we're probably over two and a half maybe pushing over three tons of dry matter to the acre yeah so and it makes so that you, producer question why do i grow alfalfa yeah, so the thing is, they're they're a cool season crop, and they're a, yeah. an annual crop. So they're a cool yeah. season annual. They love this type of weather, right? They'll grow. Yeah. And then, and if they do get some sun, they just go rapidly to to mm-hmm. a head. So, but it's an amazing product. Now, the one thing with alfalfa, because we, we we often talk about digestibility of alfalfa, but it's really the stem that's the problem, not the uh, not the leaf. The stem is yeah. what is you know less digestible. But and this is this this you never find this on the feed analysis. But it's one of the most important things about alfalfa is it has about ten percent pectin, and pectin okay. is not sugar. It's it's uh, it's kind of the ingredient that is, is wrapped around the cells of the plant as it grows. And it's a way for the the cells to get nutrients. But pectin is super digestible and super uh, available to the cow. Like it's amazing. So you can have ten to twelve percent pectin in a alfalfa and maybe three or four in the grass is that and just because so, like there's more i don't and it's, it's more of the leaf it's more okay it's more of the leaf structure right so pectins break down about as fast as sugar so the one thing we forget to talk about is that yes the digestibility of the fiber may be lower in alfalfa 
but that's compensated by the 100% digestibility of the pectin. Okay. And it never shows up in your fours analysis because it's so hard to analyze. You see soluble, uh, sorry, water-soluble carbohydrate, which is sugars, ethanol-soluble carbohydrate, which is sugar again. You never, you don't see pectin. Yeah. And it becomes part of that unknown that is very, very digestible. That's why alfalfa is shown. It's a very, very neat ingredient. So I think the research in the future will be looking at pectin as well. Yeah. And and I guess just to kind of wrap up on this point with cut timing and economics on feed costs, like, like I mentioned earlier, energy is typically the limiting factor. Yeah. And so the models that we use, I think this is for most of them, is they're just going to look for the least cost ingredient yep. and if they need energy a protein source has energy and a grain source has energy so they're just going to pull whatever they they feel they need oh well, it's interesting and, soybean meal and corn are about the same energy yeah on, pa- on paper right yeah so that's why sometimes a, a program prefers soybean meal right it's trying to look for protein and the energy is fairly decent yeah so and just seeing when we're when we're using these cereal crops spring cereals and fall cereals is that they are super high in energy because they have the sugar and i mean alfalfa you you can have that too if you get it cut early and you got good amounts of grass and stuff in it yeah exactly what it does is it just offsets the energy that it's like we're trying to draw for so much energy to make sure the cows perform that it's going to pull it. And if it can get it from forage, it's the cheapest source. Yeah. It's going to pull forage. So exactly. as soon as we start to put limitations on it, then it starts to pulling uh, purchaser concentrated feeds. And then that's what yeah. ends up costing, costing the money. Yeah. So And Ontario is primarily starch and fat is what's going to happen. Yep. Right? So if we can reduce that a little bit, that's going to, that's going to save money. Uh, I want to shift gears here a little bit, Bill. And I want to talk about cut length. Yeah. Like what should that's- producers be looking at? Like are, like, are we going to have like a decision tree almost uh, with cut lengths? So, you know, we've got real high quality feed, but it's dry. Do we cut finer? Or if it's wet, do we cut longer? Like, what are we, what are we thinking about here? Yeah. So I've been focusing a lot on cut length because um, a lot of work is showing that the longer length of cut is really, especially on poor quality forages, actually increases eating time, which is different than cut chain. So it increases eating time at the expense of resting time, which means you're, you're losing milk production. So if you have a poor quality uh, alfalfa or grass even, you want to cut that finer. And what that'll do is allow more room for attachment by the bacteria, but actually improves intake and improves milk production. And that was work out of the Miner Institute. So How fine is finer? Like, are we talking like 12 mils or like three eighths? Like 12 less than 15? To, yeah, 12 to, less like, well, yeah. 12 to 19 is kind of the recommendation now. Where if I go to Europe sometime, they tend to cut their haylages at 30 to 35 and the corn silage at four to eight millimeters. So what they do is they cut the corn silage extremely fine, which in, you know, does improve packing quality uh, and that type of thing, but they, they cut their grass silage very long to compensate for that. I'd rather have something closer together. So 12 to 12 to 19 for corn silage, 12 to maybe 20 for alfalfa silage. It's kind yeah. of key. Yeah, I know in the past I've always been around that 17, but I think I'm gonna go a little bit shorter even into the yeah. you know, 15. And and it's hard too. Alfalfa is super tough to get a, oh, yeah. a uniform chop on. Like it's yeah. so I think it's just the characteristics of the plant 
is oh, yeah. it's just a lot diff a lot more difficult to get that nice nice cut i mean even with you know good ledger bar sharp blades things like it, that it, it just never easy. cuts as nice no and, and corn salad is pretty easy to chop right like you, yeah you get a very consistent particle size so i kind of like that 12 to 16 for corn silage and a little bit longer for alfalfa silage but it also depends on um three main aspects and one is the moisture content so you know yeah. if you have dry corn silage yeah you're gonna have to chop it a little finer if you have uh the other thing we look at is fragility which is how fragile that fiber is so okay bmr corn silage versus conventional you cut the bmr a little bit longer but not like they used to recommend they used to recommend an inch or an inch and a quarter we're still looking at maybe three quarters in conventional half inch which is 12 to, to 19 and then uh, you consider the um maturity of the of the alfalfa or the grass so uh, very mature forages cut it finer yeah and, and, and the interesting thing is and we've done this on farm and keith you've done this at the penn state forage shaker box and we used to focus on that top layer to be about 10 percent. the new recommendation is that top layer doesn't really matter it's the the eight millimeter yeah. layer the next layer down which is the the, the engine that drives that rim that's what you want to focus on and that top layer is sortable yeah. You, don't, you don't want that. So sorting is the worst thing in the dairy industry because totally. I go into 90. I don't want to say 99% of the barns, but 95 for sure. Cows are sorting yeah. or trying yeah. to, you know. So. Yeah, exactly. So so length of cuts can be a key key thing to talk about. But you know, you got to be careful. You don't want to go very short length of cut and then feed a 60% uh, grain diet, for example, or a 30% starch diet. There's some, you know, limitations there, but if you have a higher forage diet, cut fine. The, the danger is very low on things like DAs or acidosis if you do it correctly. So, yeah, and I, like I know there's, I don't know, a lot, there's lots of herds that were 65 to 73% forage. Totally, on, yeah. And it, it's actually better to go a little bit shorter because like you said, less sortable. Exactly. And we're totally. still putting a tremendous amount of fiber in there. So and I, yeah. I find, like you said, um, if they're eating, they're not laying down and chewing cud. No, they, they can't. Got, they it's, it's a trade-off. Like with their time budget, it's a trade-off. Either they're eating yeah. or they're laying down chewing their cud. They're supposed to be laying down chewing cud. I mean, they're milking and going to the water troughs and it things is, like that. Yeah. But Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the old rule of thumb was the, the width of the cow's muzzle was the ideal length of cut for, you know, hay or that type yeah. of thing. But, Reality is no, that's sortable. And that is, they have to stand there and chew it or rip it apart in the eating process to break it down before it gets and, to the rumen. So. And my real aha moment was when, I think it was you and, well, I think it was kind of your concept or yeah. or whatever, but with Trevor DeVries and the dry cow and the straw. Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing. And that kind of blew my mind that they actually ate just that much more. And I've done it on a couple farms where they've had straw hay busted versus what they were doing before just chopping up in the mixer yeah first comment i get wow they're eating a lot more yes exactly they're eating yeah. unbelievable amounts it's just crazy so yeah, yeah that, that trial was at university golf and they did two or three things but the one they look at chop length yeah and what they found is the intake a week before calving and a week after calving was markedly higher on shorter chop length and that's the key area they also looked at adding uh, either water or molasses, and both those things helped on intake as well. So this is why we recommend water for dry cow TMRs 
especially with straw, because the straw is so you know fluffy and you know it just needs water in there, basically. So yeah, I've been actually looking a lot at molasses lately. I just to kind of get sidetracked here with my squirrel yeah. brain, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I got a farm feeding it, feed a kilo of it. Works yeah. great. It does work well. The only thing with it's molasses, it's not overly it's, expensive. No, but it's the highest potassium ingredient in the world yeah (laughs) so it it, so it does work well for dry cows because they love it and the intake goes up but you are you're getting a little higher potassium but you know it depends on how much you feed to the dry cow for example yeah but but the milking cow responds very well because it does stick things together and makes a a better tmr yeah was there anything else with uh length of cut that you kind of want to no just the uh no just the 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 length of cuts if you do the shaker box, it's the eight millimeter tray, which is not very big, eight millimeters. So that means eight to 19. So that's, that's your length of cut. That's the it's middle really, one in a that's three. That's the second one, second one down. In the three and the first, and still the second one down in the four too, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, okay. So the, you, have, you have 19 millimeters and above, and that's what you don't want. You have eight millimeters up to 19, and then you have four and the next one up to eight, and then you have the fine stuff. Okay. And they use now they use the four compartment shaker box to to estimate physically effective fiber, physically effective NDF, sorry, PENDF. So you just take that number times your total NDF, and that comes up with a number of maybe twenty to twenty one percent is a PENDF number. Okay, and that's coming so, out of the eight mils uh, sieve. And the and the four. Oh, okay, coming out of both. Yeah, the, yeah, the four. You need the four compartment sieve. Gotcha. So let's get into processing a little bit. And not like processing corn silage. I'm talking about processing, like yeah. packing, covering, you know, just the general management practices out of, after it's out of the field. Yeah. Before we feed it to cows. What are your thoughts on sidewall plastic? Oh, I think it's essential. So I yeah. think we need that. Uh, I think I like the layer of that thin, thin layer that goes over top and then the, the bigger plastic on top of that. Because what you're trying to do is drive out oxygen and, and shift it very quickly from an aerobic fermentation to an anaerobic fermentation. That's what you're trying to do. And an extended aerobic fermentation is where you lose on protein quality, protein amount, you, you lose sugars. It's just a, it's just basically creating heat and heat usually means you're losing um, energy. Yeah. So, but honestly, the biggest thing is packing, packing density. Yeah. Know, is the key thing. That's really a matter of tractor weight and time. That's all. Those are the two main components and moisture content too. If you have a dry halide and chop length, fine. Sorry, and chop length. I guess there are. (laughs) There's a few factors affecting it, but yeah. But you have to, um, you know, if you have dry halide chop too long, it's going to be a hard thing to pack, and it never will pack the way you want it. Well, it just rolls on you like it binds like. Yeah, it kind of ties into each other, and then then you hear the pack operator saying, "Hey, get that chop length shorter. Can't push yeah. it." Exactly. So our recommendation for any crop is to harvest that between thirty-five and forty percent dry matter. So whether it's rye, triticale, corn silage, or haylage. Now it's it's harder on some of these the triticales. It's hard to get them to dry down. But if you aim at you know thirty-five percent for corn silage and triticale and alfalfa silage, and it's packed well, it's Beautiful. It's a perfect, yeah. perfect crop. So rather than trying to wait till it's drier for haylage, and, you know, I just, just harvest when you can, but uh, that window is perfect, I think, for crops. Yeah. And we're looking at 
400 pounds per ton per hour delivered. Is that the number I'm thinking of for density? The weight? No, it, yeah, is it 800? 800. It's 800. I know it was, it's yeah. four or eight and I always get it confused. Well, there's an Imperial and a metric. So <laughs> Okay. That's, that's could be what I'm doing. I speak both yeah. languages. So yes. Yes. So, so packing is important. Inoculants are important because um, you're trying to save on shrink. Yeah. You got to think what, what is shrink? Well, shrink is when that in the fermentation process, you're losing sugars. So it's going somewhere. Yeah. Can you maybe explain that a little bit? Like how that. Well, no matter what you do, you're going to get shrink. You have to, yeah. you put a thousand tons in, you're going to get 800 to 900 tons because it's going somewhere. It has yeah. to. So. When it hits a silo, the, the back, just like the rumen, you're going through fermentation. It's going to use some of that those nutrients, and it primarily uses sugar. Yeah, and and so you have a five percent sugar, you go down to one percent sugar. So you're you've lost that somewhere. And that's but that's the also, fuel for the lactic acid bugs, right? Yeah, exactly. But then you can also um, lose on the protein side, depending on the fermentation path, through um, basically proteolysis, which is the protein being broken down. Uh, which you don't want. And that goes into ammonia levels and ammonia levels can be lost because they're volatile. And you can, you can lose that in the environment basically. Mm-hmm. And then if it's too wet, you get shrink by uh, effluent just being, you know, washed out type thing. So you get all this, this, um, all the water and stuff draining out of that, that bunk or the upright silo. And in there are the soluble components, sugars, mm-hmm. right? They're full of that. So if you get it's too wet and you can just see the, see the water seeping out, you've lost some, some key nutrients there. So that's why like 35% dry matter, you know, packed well, an inoculant that maybe shifts it to lactic acid uh, very quickly. Uh, and then uh, you can also look at the Buchneri, which improves shelf life. That's later on, but yeah, those, those inoculants tend to help a fair bit. Because you really yeah. want, the more feed you have in the silo at the end of the day, the better you are, you know. Well, it's funny, and you get talking about shrink, and the best farms in the world are at ten percent. Mm-hmm. So, still a lot. I mean, it it would just blow your mind, and i i uh, I talk about shrink all the time, and I feel like sometimes I'm talking too much about it, but I think it's so important because we've already put the investment in to make this feed, totally. and yeah. we don't get to feed it out. That money's just gone. And then often you don't see it very easily. Yeah. You can see it sometimes at the, you know, the wintertime, all of a sudden your, your pile looks smaller, right? Well, you see it but, in silage. Like you yeah. can see, like you either see mold or you can yeah. see, you know, you were packing up against the top of the bunk wall yeah. and all of a sudden you're six or eight or, or a foot below it. Yeah. And, you know, that feed went somewhere and the feed that you're feeding out after the shrink has been calculated in is yeah. not as good. Like no. those sugars have been converted into carbon dioxide and water. Yeah. And a cow can't use that. At least when the when you have a proper fermentation, the sugar is getting converted into lactic and acetic acid, which exactly. a cow can use as a volatile fatty acid. So you still get the benefit of it. Where if it's just being fermented and it's being brought yeah. into that shrink, like it's just disappearing. So the interesting thing is you, you really, fiber digestibility, which I'm fascinated by, is really affected by how the plant grows. Once it hits the silo, you're not, unless you use an inoculant that breaks down fiber, you're not going to affect fiber digestibility. But wait, what you may do is concentrate those fibers higher. So yeah. rather than, you know, uh, 45% NDF, it becomes 49. 
because those sugars by default have left, left the equation. Yep. But fiber digestibility is not affected by silage fermentation unless you have a, a specific inoculant that does break down fiber. I often wonder about those two. Yep. Just, no, I, I just, I, it's just a, it's a cost thing and cost benefit. And each farmer's got to go through the, the calculations and figure out if it, if it works for them. So. Oh, totally. Cause you can, you can do things in the rumen to affect fiber digestibility. So I'd rather focus on maturity, yep. pre-harvest, and then focus on the rumen post-harvest. And then, and to improve the digestibility of the fiber there. So, you know, make sure you don't feed excessive starch. High yeah. starch levels show an impact on reducing uh, fiber digestibility. So, yeah. you know, you're at 28 or 30% starch, you could affect fiber digestibility. Uh, yeah. We know some of the live yeast has an impact on fiber digestibility. So there's things you can do after, but I'd rather focus on maturity, not the in silent process and then the cow. And that's the way you're going to improve. Well, when you're talking about maturity too, like it's the chicken or the egg. Like if it's yep. a poor quality forage, cow's not going to eat as much. So you're going to have less ability to react to the fiber digestibility in the rumen yep. compared to if you're putting up like a higher quality forage. Yeah, in. exactly. So anyways, uh, I, I want to get back on uh, packing and covering and just kind of finish yep. up with that because I okay. know that's important. Like we want to, like what's your recs for like density? I know if anybody wants, like we can measure it. Like there's tools out there to go to the producer and measure it, but what should yeah. we be kind of targeting? Oh, I forget the numbers now, but I think it's eight, 17 to, Six, uh, yeah, I think so. 16, 17, 17, something like that. Yeah. It's funny again, because in Europe it's kilos per, per cubic meter, per cubic meter. And then it's just, yeah. like, it's hard to get those, those numbers straight, but we I should start kilos per cubic foot. And yeah. really throw a wrench into it. Exactly, exactly. But I think it's fifteen to seventeen pounds per kilo yeah. foot. Yeah, dry matter type thing. But a lot of companies do it based on as fed too, right? So it's 45, 50 pounds as fed. But the key thing is the dry matter. Uh, yeah, because we're we're measuring dry matter. It's totally. like that's what it's. You're just it's just water. I don't it care is. about the water. I want to know what yeah. I got. Like actual feed. Yeah, that's the key. I don't want. But again, it's water those four things, I thought it was two things, but it's tractor weight, tractor time, and then moisture content and length of cut. All have a yeah, good. yeah, and how fast like it's coming to the pile. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. So they recommend yeah. uh, an inch to two inches of, of layering type thing. You know, the higher, the more layers you have, the less ability you have. And keeping it below the walls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Like I, I see that a lot. Like. They get up above the walls and that's where you really see the shrink like you could really see that pile kind of like oh yeah kind of suck in towards the center so yeah exactly was there anything else you want to talk about with feed cost i guess well i've got you here bill not really i just think that the four I, I mean i guess my main thought is that forage quality has the biggest impact on, on feed cost and then milk production as well but they're both yeah. forage quality is linked to milk production obviously so that's mm -hmm. number one in a lot of cases, these fats are so high priced that people are avoiding feeding them. But at some point, if you want high production, you need to incorporate some fat into the diet. Uh, so it gets tricky, but if you pull the fat out, you're not going to get the production you need. Yeah. That makes sense. So, well, I'm wondering if I'm not seeing that in some stuff right now with just cows peaking a little too soon and things like that. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, now, you the compound one, heat into that too. And, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so anyway, I think 
porridge quality is the biggest impact. You know, we could talk a little bit about straw, one of my favorite things, but. <laughs> okay, let's talk about straw. Straw <laughs> season's going to be coming up here in about six, eight weeks. I know, everyone yells at me about straw, but if you had added 500 grams of straw to your milk and cow ration and you saw an improvement, it's not from any nutrients out of straw, it's an improved ruminant function. If you add 500 grams of straw and you see no improvement, take it out. Like you don't need it. Yeah. So really what is straw is doing is adding structural fiber and uh, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. So I know it's whatever it is, 12 cents a pound. Does that sound right? For mm, no, I've, I've heard. No, I think depending on like, where you are, okay, you can get okay. it dropped in your yard for 10 cents. I'm hearing four to six in the field. I don't think it's going to okay. be as crazy. It was in, oh, okay. uh, a couple of years ago. I think the wheat that did come through the winter came through very well. And a yeah. lot of people are, there's so many people bailing corn stalks and stuff now. So it doesn't okay. seem to really push the drive, the straw price up. So, so I use straw I, and it so makes guess, wonderful bedding corn stalks, by the way. So oh, it, it does. So but I guess my premise is that if you focus on forage quality, yeah, but temper that with a little bit of straw, it's not yeah. that much money to feed 500 grams of straw to, to it with all that improved forage quality you have. And all the straw is doing is holding in the room a little longer and then adding structure to the room and mat, what it's doing. So it's, yeah. But if you don't need it, you don't need it. It'll cost you 11, 12 cents. Yeah. Uh, So maybe 14 by time it's busted. Yeah. Yeah, Chopped. Yeah. But if you, if you see an improvement with that 14 cents, that's a pretty good investment. So that's why I still like straw in some diets. Right. But so that's, I have a love hate relationship with it too. Yeah. I know you talk. I love it. I, I, I love it and I hate it. Like, yes. I, sometimes I think, why are we feeding it to cows? But then sometimes you feed it to cows and it's like, okay, yeah. I see why we feed it. Other times, yeah. like, like you said, nothing happens. So I'll pull it out. Yeah. So take it out. But yeah, it is the deal. magical dry cow feed. So, oh, yeah, it's the way to go. My kind of final thoughts on this are that we don't have a lot of opportunities in the year to really take control of what happens. Like, we can't control the weather. No. So we don't know cutting time, we don't know maturity things like that. Like we're just going to have to roll with the punches, but um, when trying to make high quality forage, we have all the control. Yeah. Like it's, it's it's cut timing. It's chopping it to the correct length for, for what your farm needs at that moment. You know, if it's a little more mature, maybe shorter, maybe a little bit longer if it's, if it's wetter. Um, Exactly. And then it, and then it, it comes to getting it packed, covered, inoculated if you want something yeah. I recommend, but no, yeah. I, I understand why people don't like it's an extra cost, oh. but yeah. it's one of those things. If it costs you 10 cents, well, it doesn't mm-hmm. cost you 10 cents, cost you a dollar and 20 cents a ton per ton. Yeah. And yeah. you're having to go and buy more feed because like just the shrink loss is, is less or is more yeah. on it, uninoculated and the feed quality is lower. So you got to buy more stuff in, Plus yeah. then it's heating on you because mm-hmm. it didn't have a great fermentation. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, all those costs add up. So maybe spending that money up front on something like that makes sense. And then, and then oh, getting it fed sense. out and in front of the cows, like, yeah, like I, I've never seen this high feed cost bill. Like oh, I, know yeah. I was trying to think the last time it got real high was maybe like 2014, 2015. Yeah. But nothing. I like can't this. remember. But nothing like this. Like we were soy meal at six six fifty. Yeah, that's you know, crazy. We're pricing it in the mid sevens at at some points in the last yeah. 
not too distant past. So I don't, I, yeah. I haven't checked this week, but I know what it is, but no, um, ingrained the way it is. And it, and it doesn't look like it's going to let up anytime soon. So I think this is the time of year where we can really, you know, take control of, of what we're doing with, with our farms yeah. to kind of set, set them, set themselves up for success. So, yeah. So from my standpoint, in summary for me is that the plant is in control as it's growing and with the, and the weather is yeah. in control and the environment, but then the farmer's in control at when to harvest, how to harvest, how to chop, how to pack. That's the key thing. The plant is kind of telling the story early on, but then that it's, allows it's you giving you all the hints. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's telling you I'm, I'm mature. I've got a flower. I've I'm ready something. here. I'm ready yeah, here. Come I'm, cut me. I'm just waiting. <laughs> so I want to be made into cow chow. Exactly. This is a real busy time of year. So I just want everybody to stay safe out there. And, uh, you know, we have heard of some farm accidents happening in the countryside here and, uh, some near, near misses too. After you get talking about that kind of stuff, people tell you about their near misses. And at the end of the day, we just want everybody home safe and sound to their families. So, um, that's all to say about that. Cause I know people get tired and stressed. So drink lots of water, have lots of food, take a 15 minute break every now and again, if you have to, and stretch your legs and kind of have another coffee, you know, that type yeah. of thing. So, but good. Thanks very much. Anyways. Steve. Yeah, no problem. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Bill. I'll uh, throw your contact info yeah. in the show notes if you want. And yeah, uh, people can contact you. You know, Bill's yeah. a, a consultant here in Ontario and doing a lot of work with uh, Trout and uh, Lollaman yeah. uh, Animal Nutrition. So Bill's been around the industry for a long time. And I always really, I truly appreciate your insights. I know I've learned a lot from you over the past and uh, I'm I still learning that. a lot from you. So thanks, Bill. Okay. Thanks very much. All right. Yep. See you later. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the dairy team at Trout Nutrition Canada and our SureGain dealer partners. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast player and please leave us a review. If you'd like more information about today's discussions, please reach out. We have left our contact information in the show notes. I would also like to extend a special thanks to our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.